Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Um, I appreciate so much what God has been speaking to me about this week because, you know, I often say, um, if, if I don't wear the sermons first, they don't do you any good. Um, I wore this one this week, and I prayed all week that the Lord would give me what I needed first, and that he would give me the ability to share it with you, and so that's been my prayer. John Maxwell said, God chooses what we go through in life, but then we choose how we go through it in life. Attitude is critical. Can you cut me back just a little bit there? There you go. Attitude is very critical as we face the different things that we encounter through life. We never know what God's going to do in our life. We don't always see and understand what God is doing, but God is busy. Maxwell goes on to say that circumstances do not make you who you are, but they reveal who you are. Life doesn't do anything to you. It only reveals your spirit. Life has a way, my friends, of exposing the real you. It can do that. God has pointed me into the book of Galatians this week and in the fifth chapter of Paul's letter to the Christians in the churches of Galatia, Paul addresses the problem of these believers who were going backwards in their faith. They had started out very well on their faith journey, but they were losing ground in their spiritual race. Notice what Paul says in chapter 5 and verse 7. He said, you were running the race well, so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Well, what is this false teaching that Paul is talking about? What's he referring to? As you study the whole chapter, you'll find that there were some false teachers, false teachers that had infiltrated the church and they were teaching that a person had to be circumcised in order to be right with God, in order to be saved. Um, so they were adding good works to the grace of God. God saves us by grace and they were adding good works to that list. Uh, they were saying that in order for a person to be saved and go to heaven, um, you had to be circumcised. That, that would be like me saying to you, if you're going to be saved and go to heaven, you, you've got to be baptized. But that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? It's very clear that a person, uh, for a person to be saved, they have to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, making him the Lord and Savior of their life. And when you do that, Jesus, Jesus makes you right with God. And then in obedience to Christ, you follow him in believer's baptism as a public testimony of your new faith in God. So what the Bible teaches from beginning to end is that God is the source of salvation. Salvation is the work of God alone. You have no part in your salvation. No one can save themselves. You can't, I can't, I can't save you, you can't save me. Submitting in obedience to believers' baptism is something that you do. It's kind of a work, and that is exactly why baptism cannot save you, because no human deed can justify the sinful soul. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 2, and he says it three times, so don't miss it. 
He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ cannot help you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey all of the regulations in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Three times, three times he says something about this. And what Paul is saying here is that if you're going to try to work your way into heaven, then you're going to have to keep all of the Ten Commandments, all of the commandments of God perfectly. That means you can never break even one of the commandments, not even one. Telling just one lie would disqualify you from heaven. You wouldn't be able to enter the throne of God. If you've ever stole just one thing, then heaven's doors would be shut to you. So Paul wanted them to understand that if they were going to insist on requiring circumcision for salvation, that they were also going to be obligated to keep the entire law of God. Look again. For if you were trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, by doing all the deeds that the law tells us to do, then you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, Paul was not saying that you could lose your salvation. This is, what, this, this is Paul's way of warning them and us about going back to a works-based religion instead of following a grace-based relationship. Think about that. All work-based religions lead to a life of slavery and spiritual defeat. They lead you into a life that is lacking love and joy and peace and true obedience and spiritual intimacy and especially especially the power of God that, that only comes to us through the grace of God. We need that power. They leave you trying your very best to be good enough to please God and earn your way into heaven, but they always leave you falling short. They leave you struggling in life and with life. Notice that I say here that a life lived without a healthy relationship with God will leave you struggling in your relationship with the people around you. Paul talks about that in verse 13. He said, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying each other. Now, Paul reminds these Christians who were being tempted to submit to the law that that the whole law is fulfilled in what Jesus identified as the second great commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's reminding them and he's reminding us that every day they and we have two choices about who and what we are to love. They could get up in the morning and they could choose to love their neighbor 
or they could get up in the morning and choose to love themselves. But I want you to notice that Paul warns against self-love. If you choose to love yourself more than you love your neighbor, then don't be surprised, according to Paul, when you destroy each other because you are biting and devouring each other. Now, that doesn't just happen to you and the neighbor across the street. Too often it happens with family members inside of our homes. And sadly, sometimes it even happens in the church. Now, um, how many of you love to eat crabs? There will be crabs over the other building after church. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No. I, I got sick on crab cakes one time, and it wasn't because the crab cakes were bad. It was because I was eating too many of them. So it was my fault, but I've never forgotten that, so I don't eat crabs much anymore. I'm no crab expert. I, I'm not a crab expert when it comes to boiling crabs or cooking crabs. Some of you are. I know that. You know how to cook them well. But I am told that if you put live crabs in a pot and you fill that pot up with water and then you turn the heat on, that as the, the water heats up, eventually the crabs are going to decide they don't want to live in that boiling water and they're going to begin to start trying to crawl out of the pot only to have their fellow crabs pull them back down as they too try to leave the pot by climbing over each other. And so if you were to take and look over in the pot, what you're going to find is that it is every crab for himself at that point, right? Well, look, that's no way to love your neighbor, right? <laughs> Tony Evans said when church members... Assume an ever man for himself mindset rather than a serve through love mindset. This, that is when they will claw and grab one another until all are roasted in the pot. It's the same in life. The same thing can happen to you where you work. It can happen to you in your home. And if you're not careful, you just might be left all by yourself in that situation. Life is hard by yourself, right? Nobody likes to live by themselves. God never meant for us to do that. He never meant for us to be alone. You can't go it alone, at least, and not be happy. Monday afternoon after lunch, I was uh, interested in what was going on over here next door, and I went out to check on some of the men that are working on this gas substation next door. It's been good to get to know some of them. I, I've kind of gotten to know them by first name, a few of them at least, and, and uh, started building some relationships with them. I met their primary welder. In fact, the only welder they have, his name is Chad. Chad is from Maryland, and I met his welder's helper, uh, Tyler, who comes from Texas, um, and so I've gotten to kind of know them a little bit, and they, they're already calling me Pastor Randy. It's interesting, you know. Um, when I walked up the other day, Chad and Tyler were actually welding the first pipe joint on the job. And there were several other guys. You know how it is when you do these kind of constructions work. One or two guys work, and then there's like six or eight people standing around leaning on shovels, you know. Uh, they weren't leaning on shovels, but they were watching. And so I chose to watch from a distance because I didn't have my hard hat and I didn't want to get in trouble. And uh, 
But it didn't take me but just a few minutes to realize that, that what they were doing was a whole lot different than the way I was trained to do it 40 years ago. And it's not that welding today is different than welding then. Welding is welding. Uh, and that hasn't changed much, if any, over the last 40 years. But I, I was watching and I watched Chad. He, he dropped his hood and he, he began to weld and he burnt that rod all the way till he had finished welding, it, uh, welding with it. And then he backed off and, and uh, Tyler took his grinder and he began to grind on the weld, you know. And then he took his wire brush and he's brushing the top and the bottom and all around. And, and he's cleaning up before Chad would weld the next pass. And when he got through, he backed off and Chad struck up another uh, welding rod and he welded some more. Listen, I, I was a little bit jealous at that point. Because you see, I never had a welder's helper. I was envious. Um, I was trained to do my own pipe fitting. I was trained to put my, my pipes together, my flanges on the pipe. Um, I was also trained to do all my own grinding, my stops and my starts. I did everything from start to finish. I was a finish welder, if you please. I, uh, I was fortunate to be taught the fitting side before the welding side. And so anyway, when I would finish welding a task, whether it was a pipe joint or, uh, or a flange to a piece of pipe or whatever it might be, I would reach down into my tool bag and I would get my welding stamp. My stamp letters were EV. And I would take my hammer and I would stamp right next to the weld my stamp to signify that I was the one that welded that particular joint or that particular weld uh, application. And then after that was done, the, the quality control inspectors would come by and they would, they would take their flashlights and they would look around the weld. They would make sure there was no undercut on the side or make sure that the weld was not too high and it was not too wide, that it was just right. And when they gave the okay, then they would x-ray the weld to make sure that it was good on the inside. And if it passed the x-ray, then I got a check mark on the good side of my name and it said I did a good job. But if it was bad, which were very few that I ever did that were, but if it was bad, then I would have to grind that bad part out and re-weld it. But then there would be a check mark on the bad side and it would go against my record and they kept up with that. Listen, it takes a whole lot of energy and effort on the part of a welder to do everything by himself. I understand that. It makes for a really long day if you're the one having to do the welding and then stopping and grinding and cleaning and then welding and then grinding and cleaning and on and on and on the process goes. Eight to ten hours of that, doing that every day, will wear you out. It will drain you of your energy. It will sap you of your strength because it is a very time-consuming process that has to be done, and especially if you're doing it by yourself. Well, guess what? Life will do the same thing to you. Life can be draining. Whether you are starting or maintaining or trying to fix strained and broken relationships, or if you're just being responsible on a very demanding job, or if you're trying to figure out how you're going to buy by the next bag of groceries or the next gas tank full of fuel, life can be very draining. I 
was listening the other day to a man who was talking about filling up his car at a gas station. He said, I, I pulled up behind the guy ahead of me, and when he finished, I pulled up to the gas pump. And when I got out, I noticed that the man had bought one gallon of gas. See, I immediately began thinking, well, maybe that's all he could afford. Maybe he's trying to figure out how to make his money stretch, and he knew that that would be enough to get him where he had to go. He was doing the best that he could. Life can be tough, right? Starting a new job can be very stressful. Dealing with sickness and cancer and, and surgery and pain, they can be very draining on you. It can deplete you of all of your strength. Life can leave you living on fumes in, in desperate need of a spiritual fill-up. Dave McKinney McKinley wrote these words. He said, many believers try to live on just the fumes within their soul rather than on the true source of strength, which is God's Holy Spirit. You think about that. That's like having a chainsaw full of gas and you try to cut a tree down with that chainsaw without cranking it. Am I right? You've got the power living in you in the Holy Spirit, but if you don't use it, it's like a chainsaw full of gas and you never crank it. The Holy Spirit, he says, is, is often neglected and forgotten in the daily grind of life. Now, if I were to take a consensus here today, I guarantee you, every one of you would say, Yes, Lord, I want you to take me to heaven when I die. Not ready to die today, but when I die, you can take me to heaven, right? The problem is, too many of us want... To live and manage our life every day without God's help. We're going to do our own thing without God's instruction, without God's guidance, without any help from anybody in the church, without any help from any other believers. We, we want to be by ourselves. Quite honestly, welding by yourself is not a bad thing. You don't have nobody bothering you. But it's a hard task. Why do we want to do that? Why are there so many Christians wanting to live right by themselves? Well, just maybe it's because we tend to go back to our old way of life, living in the flesh instead of living in the spirit. Maybe, maybe we don't understand how serious these spirit-flesh battles are that are going to be fought in, or that are being fought in our lives every day. Paul talks about it in verse 16. Look at what he says. He said, I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? He said, I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you're directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. Most Christians don't understand or they don't take serious the constant battle that we, we face and fight every day. Every day you're, you're being pulled in two opposite directions every day. That means when you get up in the morning, your flesh wants you to give in to the desires of your heart. 
Only problem with that is our heart is wicked and evil, isn't it? At the same time, the Holy Spirit wants you to walk in obedience to God. They lead you in opposite direction, and there's this spiritual tug of war. One wants you to go one way, one wants you to go the other way. But what did Solomon say? He said, he who trusts in his own heart is a what? A fool. A fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. When you accept Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, he gives you eternal life. He also implants the Holy Spirit in you to dwell in you so that you can experience true fulfillment in this life and also bear eternal fruit and enjoy the ultimate victory that he has promised. That's why he says walk in the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit every day. Now that does not mean that you're to be constantly engaged in some form of spiritual exercise or activity. But what it does mean is that daily you're to allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to reign in your heart, to sit on the throne of your life, to help lead you through your day. You are to allow him to lead you step by step through your day. You're to allow him to, to give you the spiritual and physical energy that you need and to allow him to engage or, or enable you with, with the power that you need for the different tasks that you will be called to accomplish on any given day. Charles Stanley wrote that every day, each circumstance, challenge, and encounter is an opportunity for you to either obey him or to express your own will. It's just that simple. That's the way God divides things. And he also says that the degree to which you yield to his control is the extent in which you will experience Christ in your life. If you don't yield to the Spirit, then you're not going to see Christ doing much in your life. You get up and control things and do things your way, then that's all you're going to see. That's why Paul said, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Honestly, how often do we do that? I checked myself this week. There were several decisions I had to make this week. Sometimes more than two or three or four a day. Big decisions. And I honestly sat there and made myself think, am I doing this? Or am I letting the Holy Spirit lead me in doing this? God, what do you want? Not what I want. What do you want? And even then I would say, are my motives pure? Paul said, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Your old sin nature loves to do evil. Loves to do evil. Which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And your choices, your choices, every choice you make is never free from this conflict. I remember years ago, 
before the Lord called me into ministry, I had an opportunity to lead a friend of mine to Christ. His name was Carl. Uh, Carl had been raised in a very, very, very difficult home. His father was an abusive alcoholic. He would go off and get drunk. He would come home and he would beat Carl. He would beat his brother. He would beat their mother. Uh, you know, it didn't matter who you were. If you were in a house, he came home drunk, you were going to get beat. Carl grew up tough. He grew up rough around the edges, if you know what I mean. It's amazing that Carl and I became friends. Uh, we did, good friends. We hunted some together. We fished some together. Uh, we played softball together. We worked on three different jobs together through the years. We always enjoyed working together. We enjoyed each other's company. And he would come into my welding shop when I was there at the Navy base. And, and we would eat our lunch together. And we would talk and we would have fun. But you know what? As much fun as we had, we were very different. Because I was a Christian. And Carl was not. He didn't like it when I finished my sandwich and my chips and my drink. And I would pull my Bible out of my lunch pail and begin to read the scripture. He didn't want me reading scripture to him. He never wanted to hear about Jesus. He was angry. He was still angry. All those years later, he was angry. And he was hurt because of the way he had been raised. We were both working for Bell Aerospace Textron. And I actually worked with Carl on that job for about four years. I, I was there through the first 18 boats and and those 18 hovercraft that we worked on together had four fuel tanks each to each craft. I welded in all of those fuel tanks. Do the math. <laughs> it's over 70 fuel tanks I had to crawl in and weld. I'll never forget the first day my boss said, we've got a fuel tank, we want you to crawl in and weld. I went, I've never done that before. I don't mind welding, but a fuel tank? Can we use some putty? <laughs> or some super glue? <laughs> no, you've got to crawl in there and weld. What was amazing is that Carl volunteered to take a fire extinguisher and crawl in that fuel tank with me and be my fire watch like that little fire extinguisher was going to keep us from dying. <laughs> he volunteered. We had a good relationship. I'll never forget when we crawled in that first fuel tank that day. I got in, strung my torch up. Carl climbed in with his fire extinguisher. And I was just about ready to weld. And I looked over at Carl and I said, Carl, goodbye. Carl said, what'd you say? I said, goodbye. Why are you telling me goodbye? I said, well, Carl, I'm fixing to fire up this torch, and if, if it goes bad and it blows up, then I'll never see you again. I know where I'm going, but you're not going with me. And his words were, shut up and weld. <laughs> never forget it, as long as I live. I dropped my hood and fired up, and I'm still here. God's grace. Eventually, Carl accepted Christ. I remember the morning he got saved. 
He was in church. God was really doing a work in his life. When the invitation was given, Carl came down the aisle shaking as bad as anybody I've ever seen the Spirit move on. And he accepted Christ. I wasn't even in ministry at that point, and my pastor let me baptize him. Yeah. Wasn't long after that, Carl said to me one day, he said, he said, Randy, my, my dad's in the hospital. He's really sick. He's probably going to die. And I said, well, Carl, why don't you and I go to the hospital and see your dad and I'll share Christ with him and maybe he can be saved, forgiven and saved. And Carl looked me in the eye and he said, absolutely not. He deserves to go to hell. I don't want him going to heaven. Well, obviously Carl was still angry. He was angry at his father. He couldn't forgive him. Probably had every right to be that way towards his dad. But guys, listen to me. None of us deserve to be saved. Not me, not you, not Carl, not his dad, not anybody. None of us. But, but sharing Christ with his lost dad was the right thing to do. It is what the Spirit wanted us to do, but there was a battle going on with Carl. No, I don't want to do that. God said, yes, you need to. Praying for his forgiveness and salvation was the right biblical thing to do. Ministering to this lost man was the only biblical response that God would be blessed with and pleased with. Listen, it is at the point of obedience as we yield to the Holy Spirit's direction that we experience the abundant supernatural life of Christ. That is when we truly get to enjoy the spiritual fruit of the Lord. When we say, yes, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. Solomon wrote, and God spoke through him and said, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Every day, we have an opportunity either to obey our heart and follow our heart or to obey and follow Jesus and his teaching. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to do the right thing, always. And he will lead you and me down a road that will give us life at the best that it can be. But listen, what is best isn't always easy. And what is best is never without sacrifice. It's never without struggles, never without a war. But if you'll stay the course in the battle, you'll find that it's worth it. It's been said that your Christ-honoring choices will make all the difference today, but also in eternity as well. I've said to you many times over the years that God honors obedience and that he blesses a life as you make good choices. 
Charles Stanley wrote these words. He said, when you choose God's wisdom over the world, you begin to develop a depth to your life that would never have been possible before you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look with me for a minute at what Paul says can happen to you if you choose to follow your old sin nature. If you get up tomorrow morning and you, you choose to do what your, your heart wants to do, what your sin nature wants to do, this is what's going to happen to you. Paul says in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives, your lives will produce these evil results. Notice the list. Sexual immorality. Impure thoughts. Eagerness for lustful pleasure. Idolatry. Participation in demonic activities. That, boy, that blows my mind. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, division. The feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other kinds of sin. Paul says, let me tell you again. So this wasn't the first time he'd said this. As I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. When I read that list, do you find any of those being a problem in your life? If you do, it is the Spirit showing you what you're doing with your life. Now I want you to look at what Paul says will happen if you make the decision every day to let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Look at verse 22. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, why does it happen that way? Why is this true? It is simply true because God's wisdom and guidance is given to you not only to help you make the right decisions, but also so that you can enjoy the life that God has created you to enjoy. You see, one of the greatest blessings that you can receive from living wisely and choosing wisely is what? Peace. Peace. Are you living in peace? Are you at peace? Is peace a part of your life? Do you have that peace about you today? Or is there a struggle going on? Paul reminds us that when you choose to exercise godly wisdom, which involves asking the Lord for spiritual direction and then choosing to walk in that direction, that, that is when you will find the peace of God that passes all comprehension, that is beyond our understanding. Paul wrote these words in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And this very first sentence is one that God just said, listen to this. Listen. Look at what Paul wrote. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> That's nothing. Don't worry about a thing. Instead, pray about everything. If we would just quit worrying and pray. Just stop letting that run through your mind and quit doing the 
evil gymnastics of, is this going to happen or is that going to happen or is this not going to happen? Just pray. Talk to God about it. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all that He has already done. Look what he says in verse 7. If you will do this, if you will do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Why is this true? Why? It is true because you can rest in your understanding that, that the all-wise, omniscient Father is guiding you with his unlimited and unfailing wisdom. I told you the other day that my dad, who was not even a believer, never put a boundary on me or never gave me any instructions that wanted to harm me. He was always doing it for my good. Just imagine how much more God does that for us. He never tells us to do this or not do this. Because he doesn't love us, he does it because he loves us and he cares about us. The psalmist wrote, for I am overwhelmed and you alone know the way that I should turn. You alone know which direction I should go, God. The psalmist also said, teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm, firm Footing. Keep me out of the mud, God. Put my feet on concrete. It is also true because a wise spirit-led believer understands the benefit of trusting in God, in the God-given abilities of other members in the body of Christ. You know, I was thinking about it, I said, praise God, you know, I'm not in this mess alone, amen? <laughs> None of us are if we're believers, we have brothers and sisters that we can trust and, and depend on in our times of need. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 said, Most of all, love each other as if your life depends on it. You're not talking about just loving your wife or your kids. You know, lo love those Christians that are sitting next to you, that you go to church with, that you encounter Love your neighbor. Love each other as if your life depends on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, and do it all cheerfully. Be generous with the different things that God gave you. Pass them around so all get in on it. I, I watched two men's face light up Wednesday when I gave them a bag of squash and cucumbers. It was Chad and Tyler that are welding out here on the pipeline. It was just, but God gave them to me. Why not give them to them? You know? Something else. Growing in spiritual maturity to become truly a truly wise believer can also help you to discover the things that truly give meaning and fulfillment in your life. Things that will give you lasting joy. I mean, if you're going to live life, why not, why not live it to the fullest, right? 
We're talking about having godly values. We're talking about having fellowship with believers that is a blessed fellowship. We're talking about uh, engaging in spiritual relationships and, and, and finding contentment. How many people are content with what they have? Or how many of us want more or different? Look at what Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11. He said, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Two extremes. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is full with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. He said, I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength that I need. How about you? Is that a lesson you've learned? Is it a lesson you need to learn? Listen, I, I don't know, I don't know what need you came here with this morning physical, maybe even spiritual. But this is what I do know. I know you need a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And I know you need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I know you need to have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you because without those three, you're living life by yourself. And that's not a good place to be. I know you also need a steady diet of the Word of God. You need to get up in the morning and read the Word of God. And you need a spiritual family. You need a church. You need brothers and sisters who you can live life with. I know you need that. You can't go it alone. The question is, when are you going to quit trying? Right? When are you going to give in and let God's Spirit lead you into the throne of God's grace so that he can be everything to you? When are you going to trust Jesus and let him be Lord? Not just Savior, but Lord. Don't, don't just buy into this so you go to heaven. Buy into it so that he helps you live the abundant life. What did, what did he say? I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to have the best. Quit settling for less. Let's pray.